Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Medical School HQ Podcast, session number 77. You know, dreams don't come true. It's, it's a plan that comes true. And so you've got you've to put a plan out there. Hey, this is Z-Dog MD, rapper, physician, legendary turntable health revolutionary, and part-time gardener. And you're listening to the Medical School HQ Podcast, hosted by the irredeemably awesome Ryan Gray. Welcome back. I'm your host, Ryan Gray. And as always, I believe that competition amongst your pre-med and medical student peers is detrimental to becoming a great physician. In this podcast, we show you how collaboration, hard work, and honesty are critical to becoming a superior physician in today's healthcare environment. How are you guys doing today? How are you doing today? I want to, once again during this month of May. Thank the Princeton Review for supporting you, our listener. During the month of May, use the code MSHQ5 and you will save 10% off the Princeton Review's MCAT Ultimate Classroom or MCAT Ultimate Live Online courses. MSHQ5, save 10%. Go to princetonreview.com and enter that promo code. If you don't remember the Princeton Review... And what they have to offer and why they're a little bit different than some of the other test prep companies. I talked about it with Chris back in session 17, medicalschoolhq.net slash 1717. We talked about how the Princeton Review uses multiple instructors for their different topics, for for the different sections of the MCAT. So you'll have a verbal instructor. You'll have a biological sciences instructor. You'll you'll have a physical sciences instructor. It's broken down more than some of the other test prep companies out there, which is why I think I, I would recommend them over everybody else because of that opportunity to learn from multiple instructors and not just one instructor, which is how I learned when I went through the MCAT and I didn't jive with the one instructor that they gave me. And so it wasn't 
uh, as as good of an experience for me. So the Princeton Review, I, I love how they have their classes set up. Go to PrincetonReview.com, use MSHQ5, and you'll save 10% off of their MCAT Ultimate Classroom or MCAT Ultimate Live Online courses, meaning live online, meaning you don't have to have a Princeton Review classroom near you. You can do it all online and, and still get the, the benefit of multiple instructors and live uh, interaction with the teachers. So thank you, Princeton Review, for your continued support of the Medical School HQ podcast. Today, I have an interview with Ben Abney, who is a very non-traditional medical I'll call him a medical student. He's starting medical school in the fall. He's gotten into a couple medical schools, and he's down to the wire in deciding where he wants to go to school. He wrote me and Allison a very long email, over 4,000 words, Titled, How a 38-Year-Old Active Duty Applicant with a Family and Average Scores Got into Medical School. And he wrote it saying that he hopes it might help the next person in a similar situation. And that's what this show is all about. Helping the next generation of pre-medical students, medical students, on their journey. Showing them that they're isn't one path to getting into medical school, showing that there isn't a a perfect applicant to get into medical school. And so after I read a little bit of this, I didn't didn't read all 4,000 words. I read a little bit of it and realized that I need to stop reading this and just ask Ben if he wants to come on the podcast. So I did, and he agreed. And so Ben's going to talk about his journey, some of the stuff that he learned, what worked for him, recommendations that he may have, for you as you go on your journey as a pre-med and uh, as a medical student. Ben, welcome. Let's start with talking about your aha moment and and when you knew you wanted to be a doctor. You know, I didn't have a a special moment where I said, oh, the clouds have aligned and I will be a doctor at this moment. Um, I do remember the first time when I said, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to take the take the biology classes and uh, just kind of take the first step in that direction. And that was um, a moment where you know I was talking to my wife and we were just talking about where do you see yourself in ten years or fifteen years? And you know, do, do you feel like you're tracking in your life where you want to be? And um, you know, I did have that gut check of of uh, or that check of that you know, thought of uh, uh, maybe I could be doing something a little bit more. And, um, you know, it was, uh, going to medical school was always kind of a back burner item. I mean, when growing up thinking like, Oh, I'd love to be a doctor. And then at some point, uh, letting that kind of dream get away from you and you, you, you you go to college, you move into a career, you have some kids, you get married, you know, and then it's, it's 15, 20 years later and you got to look back and you go, you got to go, well, am I doing what I want to be doing or am I doing just kind of where my life has led, led to where I am today. So, um, so I don't know if that answers your question about when I had that moment, but I definitely did have a moment where I said, uh, I'm going to go to uh, take that first class. And that was just a few years ago. And you are how old? I am 38. I'll be 39 this year. 
So you you are a true non-traditional. That's right. It cracks me up when I talk to these guys who are, you know, they took two years out of college and they're going, oh, I'm a non-traditional. You know, I say, <laughs> <laughs> just relax. I've just experienced for- life. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So what have you been doing for the past 15 years? Okay. Well, I graduated from Indiana in 1998. And not too long after graduation, I joined the Navy. I joined under the Navy's NUPOC program. And I went to uh, officer candidate school and became a nuclear power instructor. And I uh, was stationed down in Charleston, South Carolina for a few years down there. All right. So, so pause there. Okay. So you went to college. Right. What did you study? I studied uh, my uh, master or my, uh, uh, it was in mathematics and I minored in physics. At any point during your undergraduate years, did you think about being pre-med? Um, I, I did think about being pre-med. I had a, a roommate who was pre-med. And um, at that point, though, I just didn't see how I could do it. You know, I was looking at the debt load, looking at the reality of, um, you know, going to school for another, an, another, you know, four years. And I just didn't think it was in the car. I didn't think it was a possibility. So I had grown up in a very, um, in a very uh, poor family, and um, the idea of even going to college was pretty, uh, pretty far out there. So that, you know, my thought was I need to get into have a real job. I need to, you know, it wasn't about money; it was about stability. Though I said I need to need to go ahead and start paying the bills, things like that. So um, I did think about it, but I didn't think it was a, a real possibility. So you just mentioned it wasn't about money, but. Two seconds earlier, it was about the money. So I, I, I think it's a, I think it's a huge barrier for some pre med students. And I've talked about this before with, with uh, Tony Sozo, the financial advisor that I've had on the podcast a couple times. But can can you think back when you're in your in, in college and you? You obviously looked into medical school and obviously saw how expensive it was. Was it was it the fact that you, you mentioned you you didn't really come from a lot of money or didn't come from any money? Was it the fact that the price tag for medical school was a lot, or did you feel like you had the opportunity to and really needed to or felt like you needed to go out and start earning money in medical school was just a barrier to that? Um, it was, it, I definitely felt like the, um, the price of medical school or just wasn't even attainable. I didn't think that I, you know, um, it, it didn't think it was a possibility. I thought if I would go to try to get a loan for medical school, I'd be laughed out of the office. Um, so and it, to be, to, to grow up on, um, on rice and beans and then think about taking out 20,000 or 40 or 50 or, you know, indie medical school with $230,000 in debt. It was less than, but it was just an impossibility. You might as well have been talking about $2 million as, as $150,000. Okay. Yeah. And, and that's one of the biggest, I think, problems that we have with the cost of school and the lack of knowledge and information about scholarships and, and loans and, and loans are attainable for people, but I, I think we're missing out, unfortunately, on a huge subset of our population that grow up in a very similar situation to yourself that that view the cost of medical school as this just Mount Everest of impossibility. 
and 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 put it off on the back burner. Luckily, at some point, you came back around and said, "You know what? It's time." Right. You you mentioned that you kind of sat around and said, "Where do I want to be in a couple of years?" But why at that point was medical school attainable for you? Well, at that point, it wasn't that that medical school was necessarily attainable, but definitely taking that first step and, and signing up for classes was attainable. And I did take a, a moment to step back and look at the big picture and say, you know, if I go to medical school now, or if I start taking classes now, I can take these classes and, and it'll put me into, you know, the cycle and kind of plan forward and, and realize that, you know, I could be in medical school by the time I'm, by the time I'm 39 and, you know, it's not too old. So, there was a moment of going, well, it's it's kind of now or never to take that first step. I also uh, was able to step back and think about using the resources that I have now, um, you know, to as a benefit to medical school rather than a big barrier. I know somebody out there who's sitting out there with a, you know, a, a spouse and children and a and a career that they're sitting on and they're going, oh, that's a barrier to medical school, or I really think it's a resource to medical school because you can look at going, um, you know, you've probably accumulated some wealth, you've probably accumulated some professional habits, you've probably accumulated some time management skills, some of these things that you might not have had when you were 22 years old. Um, So I thought about some of those strengths and going, you know what, I, I might be better at medical school now than when I was maybe 21 years old or 22 years old. Um, Obviously, you've got some challenges there. Um, with uh, some different responsibilities. But, um, you know, I guess I could put it out, mapped it out, and said, you know, that's a plan that I could probably do. Um, so, again, I don't know if that answers your question about about seeing how I could go to medical school, but um, but that's really how it happened. No, that's great. So you, you started taking classes, and you kind of said, you know what, I can do this. Where, where did you go to next? Obviously... As a military man, you, you, you're committed yourself to the Navy. How did you figure out what were the next steps that you needed to take and, and to make sure that you're doing things right? Because let's be honest, applying to medical school is is a huge, uh, overwhelming process. And if you don't do everything uh, right, not I'm not saying you have to be perfect, but if you don't do everything right, things can get messy. How did you figure all that out? No, I completely agree. The um, I did a few different things. One of the things I did, and I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, but um, early on in the process, I went to the schools that were, especially locally, that I said, you know what, I think I'm going to apply here. Um, so I went and knocked, you know, put on a, a nice uniform and went and knocked on a door and said, hey, I'm a, I'm not a medical um, applicant now, but I will be in a couple of years. Here is my uh, resume. Here are the classes I've taken. You know. Where do I, what do I need to do to be a competitive applicant for you in two years? And at that point, the schools were all very willing to sit down and look at my record and look at the, look at my package and say, Hey, you know, you really should think about doing some shadowing or, you know, Hey, when you hit that organic class, you really make sure you perform in that organic class and give me feedback that later made me a more competitive applicant. And they gave me feedback that gave me a little bit more confidence that I was going to track in the right directions. They were the same schools who said, hey, make sure that you are submitting your application in the beginning of June or you know, as soon as the cycle opens. They were the same schools who were saying, hey, uh, that MCAT, you've, 
you've got to perform on the MCAT because that'll shut some shut some doors for opportunities if you if you mess up the MCAT. Um, and those were those were some primary sources that I went to for information. Then there were there really two other sources that I went to for information. One of them was was finding friends. Like I said, you've got some strengths of being a non-traditional. One of those strengths is having friends, personal friends who are physicians who you could go to and say, what did you do um, when you went through medical school or what made you competitive or what are your thoughts about the profession? And so I went to those people and, uh, you know, sat and talked to them and just reconnected with those, with those close friends of my life. Um, another area that I went to was kind of the area that I think most people jump to right away. And I did too, like I said, I'm going a little bit out of order, but that's jumping on the different medical school forums and, and, uh, you know, you know, what you're doing is fantastic because I believe you bring more of a collaborative environment than maybe some of the other, um, um, some of the other sites out there that are just, just weird. Well, the, we'll, we'll, we'll leave them unnamed. <laughs> we'll leave them unnamed. But I mean, you run into these people and you say, Hey, I'm 37 years old. You know, I think about to go to med school and people are going, no, do, be a PA or be a nurse <laughs> or be a, which are fine. I mean, those are things you need to have answers for, but like a more constructive take on that was like, Hey, have you thought about being a PA? Have you thought about being a nurse? And, and that is a reasonable response. But just, you know, these, these snarky comments about, Oh, you're too old. It's, yeah. it's you're too old. Kind of, you, you don't, you're, you don't you're have old. a 40 on the MCAT? What? Right, you don't have a 40. You, you don't have a 3.9 you know, GPA. You might as well give up. So <laughs> I always got a kick out of that. Um, you know, one of the other things that I found helpful was going to the, and I'm going to mess up the name here, but it was like a older pre-meds conference. And I think you mentioned it on the show maybe last week or the week before, but there's, a, there's an actual conference, and it's held in Washington, D.C. in the June time frame, and that's where I met you. But again, you surround yourself by people who are older pre-meds or non-traditional pre-meds. And it kind of kind of gave you hope that, wow, there, there are other people out here that are doing this. Yeah, Old, oldpremeds.org. For those who, who don't know, if, if you're listening to this and you live around the Washington, D.C. area, uh, the, it's the National Society for Non-Traditional Pre-Medical and Medical Students. They, they hold a national conference uh, every year. This is, I think, the 14th annual and the last couple of years, it's been in D.C. I don't think it always is, but uh, it has been. So if you're in the D.C. area, I highly recommend checking it out. It's oldpremeds.org slash conference. Unfortunately, I, I won't be there this year. I was hoping to go and, and do some live podcasting, which would have been fun. But with the newborn and, and uh, some other health stuff that I had mentioned last week, mm-hmm. we're, we're staying home. So. Um, but if you if you're in the area, go there. Say hi to Rich for me, and uh, it, it's a great collaborative environment of being around students who are trying to learn from everybody and and learn and help, and it's awesome. Yep, I agree. I totally agree. So, so you you reached out to the schools, which Carrie, who I also met at the old pre meds conference, she had mentioned a couple episodes ago, and episode 74 when when you reached out to these schools were were you just showing up on their doorstep or did you reach out with emails or phone calls first how did you do that the first thing i did was like you know i went on the site and familiarized myself a little bit about their basic things that way when i showed up i had some basic information about the schools um and with one of the schools i emailed uh someone in the missions office and said you know this is who i am and i you know, here's a quick summary. Um, I would just like to talk informally about some, you know, 
uh, my plan here. Maybe someone would be available to talk. Um, and there at school, I just showed up and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm here unannounced. And, and I just wanted to say uh, hi and just kind of meet some faces and, and tell you where I am. And again, they were – uh, maybe it's just the luck of the draw. Maybe it's because they, they, um, just were not busy that day or, you know, I know as you're not a medical applicant, they're not bound by some of the same issues you are once you do become an official, um, applicant to their school. Um, but I thought that was very helpful in gaining some confidence in, in knowing that I wasn't going to miss a specific class for their school. And that's why it's important to familiarize yourself with their entrance criteria before you show up. That way you can say, I understand I'll probably need to get a, you know, fill in the blank on your MCAT score. I understand that I do need these four or five classes and you can show them that plan. And then, you know, I had a, my portfolio with me with some, some of my background, you know, my GPA, my, my previous schools, things like that. And really emphasize it. Hey, this is a, this is a, you're doing me a favor by sitting down with me. I'm not, you know, this is, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but this is a non-binding conversation here. And mm. again, they were very, uh, very willing to sit down and talk. Did anybody give you the cold shoulder? No, not at all. I did not get any cold shoulder at all. Awesome, good. That's good to hear. And did you did you keep in contact and follow up with any of these people? I that- did, I did, and I said, "Remember me? Do you remember when I came in here and, and you told me to get a? You know, one of the schools said, well, you know, you get a, you get a thirty on the MCAT and an A in organic chemistry, and we'll see you here for an interview." And, and, uh, you know, so I showed back up, uh, well, almost a year and a half later and said, Hey, do you remember when you said that? And he said, I sure do. Maybe he <laughs> did, maybe he didn't. But, you know, I did keep in, in contact and say, Hey, um, you know, I just finished that class. Just to let you know, I'm still fired up. I'm so excited about the opportunities there. Just quick, short emails with, with some people that I kind of connected with in the front office. And, um, I, you know, I thought that was beneficial just gaining that confidence that, that, uh, the process seemed a little bit less mysterious. That's awesome, and we'll we'll talk a little bit, maybe a, a little bit later on about the the results of all of that. But let's okay. let's talk about your application process. Okay. When, when did you apply? Okay, I applied in um, as soon i as soon as the application cycle opened, I started putting in all my information. So I think that's in um, and. Uh, you might have to help me out here. I think it's usually in mid uh, or end of May or beginning of June that it actually opened to actually load your information mm-hmm. into the AMCAS system. Yep, so AMCAS will open up so you can play with it in May and then submit in June. Okay, so I played with it in May, and then uh, I submitted it at, um, if my memory is right, I submitted it about three minutes after it opened in June. Wow. So ju- just just after it opened in June. At that point, I had already um, – a lot of people, you know, they focus on the personal statement so much. And everybody knows, oh, reread your personal statement. Have people you don't know read your personal statement. Have people who you don't like read your personal statement. They focus on that, and that's great. But there's a lot of other writing on that application. There's a lot of places where they say, well, describe to me what you did in that job. Describe to me what you did in that volunteer experience. Describe that shadowing experience. And that gives you a little paragraph there to write, and – I would really encourage your non-traditionals to understand that that's an area where they can shine. And that's an area where um, you can really back up what you have on your personal statement and give a, a more of a full picture of who you are. And um, it also, I, I didn't quite understand it, that you know, some things you, you talk about in your personal statement, you can, you can kind of mention this other thing. 
you know, mention that volunteer experience. But in that other section of the application is where you can actually start to describe what that particular volunteer experience meant to you or describe exactly the details there. So not everything you, um, you did uh, needs to be described in your personal statement. You have some other areas to, uh, yeah. to explain more. That's, that's one of the hardest things <clears throat> I think most people struggle with is how do I fit, especially non-traditional students, right. how do I fit 38 years of my life into 5,300 characters? Right. And and that's a good trick is is you you kind of briefly mention something and so when when these admissions committee members are glancing over your personal statement and they're not reading it in depth that first time they're glancing over it seeing if it's interesting and then they're glancing over your experiences and they go oh I I remember kind of briefly reading something about that one experience but here it is a little bit more flushed out that's a good little trick to to kind of extend your personal statement that's right cool so did you find and i i know the answer to this because i found (laughs) it difficult but did you find anything difficult about the amcas application i did i I, um one of the things that i found difficult was and and I, i guess i'll get into this i think it'll help somebody else out there was Getting my schools to get all of my transcripts to AMCAS. And I'll just tell people out there that you can have hiccups there that can cost you weeks and weeks and months of delays if your schools don't get that that transcript to AMCAS properly. I had one of my schools, they sent it. It was the first transcript I think was unsigned. Um, so AMCAS takes, you know, a week to open it and then a week to send me a letter to say, Oh, that one was unsigned. So I have the school send another one. Well, that one was, you know, the print date was not, was too far off of the, um, signature date. So it takes AMCAS another four weeks, you know, five weeks to notify me of that. Um, you know, a couple cycles like that. And then all of a sudden, even though I've applied, you know, three minutes after 30 seconds after the cycle opens, my uh, AMCAS was not getting verified until I think it was uh, mid-October or late October. So I did find that part of it frustrating. Uh, just just wasn't very clear um, how important some of those things are early in the cycle. So um, I would really encourage people out there who are, who are uh, uh, applying to make sure these schools are getting their transcripts into AMCAS as soon as you can. Yeah, because that's that's really the biggest hang up. Initially, not not necessarily hang up, but the biggest delay is AMCAS. After you submit your application, and uh, Comus does this as well, they go in and look at all of the grades that you have manually inputted, and they're checking line by line against your transcripts to make sure everything is there and everything looks good. Um, I, I could easily go in and say I got A's and everything, but they're going to check, they're going to check my official transcripts. So that's important. And, and what you have to do is you have to bring, uh, the AMCAS sheet to your school's office and say, here is my AMCAS sheet. Take this and submit my transcripts with it. Mm-hmm. So AMCAS knows the transcripts and, and the ID and everything that goes along with it. And that's, that's a tedious process that you are relying on other people for your success. And it's the same thing with letters of recommendation. Right now, as we're recording this, it's mid-May. And people are 
probably right this minute going and asking professors and uh, mentors and people, doctors they've shadowed, for letters of recommendation. If you're asking for letters of recommendation past April, you're too late. Because the the people that are writing these letters are going to most likely be delayed. Everybody likes to take their time. And you're going to have to poke and prod them a couple times. And And letters of recommendation are one of those other things besides transcripts that you mentioned that hold up an application and can significantly delay it. And that's a, a huge issue. I agree. All right. So you had you had a couple hiccups with your application, but obviously things worked out. How many how many schools did you apply to, and and how did you choose those schools? Um, I cast pretty wide net. Um, being a military guy, you're not afraid to really move around. So the idea of you know going to school just about anywhere didn't really. Um, didn't really scare me too much. So what I did was I um, I applied to all the schools which were in a few hour drive of where I lived, thinking that you know those are places you don't have to fly to. I'll get the interview experience showing up to those places, um, things like that. Um, and then I applied to schools in areas where I had already lived that I knew I could return to and I could enjoy. So I think my uh, initial list was something like maybe. 15 schools roughly. Um, I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but it was about 15 schools that I initially kind of threw, threw it out to to say, okay, I'll apply to these 15. Okay. And at, I think it's $160 for that first one and then $36 for each one. The price adds up. Right. It, it'll end up being around 500 bucks pretty quickly. Yeah. Talk about MD versus DO for a second. Did okay. did you apply to any DO schools at all? I did not apply for DO schools. And the really the only reason I didn't apply to the DO schools is because I thought, you know, this is a pretty com- I'm pretty competitive at the MD schools and I just didn't do it. It wasn't a a slight to um DO schools had had there been one system where I could have gone oh, man, I can check these DO schools also. I 100% would have checked DO schools because there were a few DO schools that I was definitely interested in going and interviewing at and visiting that area and learning more about the school. It was more about the fact that, well, you know, I'm going to apply to these MD schools and I don't want to really go through an entirely different application process and try to learn a different application process and pay another fee for another application process. So that was the main reason why I didn't go through a uh, DO, the, the DO route. Awesome. So let's let's jump ahead. Okay. Are you starting school, <clears throat> medical school yeah. soon? I am. I should start here in uh, in June. So, and uh, you know, I'm still haven't uh, nailed down exactly where I'm going. So I've still got a couple uh, couple options out there that I'm weighing. I have told a few of the schools that you know I think I'm going to try something different, um, but I haven't nailed down my final final decision yet. That decision's coming soon, is it not? It is. I think it's um, two days. <laughs> <laughs> it's very soon. <laughs> That's right. How many schools did you get interviews at? Um, I got interviews. Again, I'm going to mess up this. I think I interviewed at seven or eight schools or what I, is what I ended up interviewing at. That's, that's that uh, pretty right. impressive. Yeah. Right. And the, of, the, of the 15 schools I initially applied to, you know, several, a few of those schools um, – you know, after I did a little bit more digging, I went, oh, I, 
I don't have that class. I, I think there was some biochemistry I didn't have and a, a molecular biology that I didn't have that, you know, I was like, well, well I didn't have that school and, or I didn't have that class and why did I waste the 30 bucks on applying to that school? And, uh, you know, so of those 15 schools, really not all of them did I have all the requirements for those schools. And there were a couple of schools that were admittedly like, ah, that one's totally out of reach. But I, I will tell people this. There was one school that I applied to that I said, oh, yeah, I should definitely get an interview here. Their, their mission statement is right along my, you know, right up my alley. Like, this is, this is me. And they never called me back for an interview. Never, you know, I got a secondary, but never anything more. And on the flip side of that, there was a school that I applied to in January that I was just driving by and said, I didn't even know this school existed. And when I went on their site and, and learned about their stats, I said, there's no way I'll get into here. And I applied there and, you know, I got the interview and uh, I was actually accepted there. So you, you applied in, <laughs> in January? I applied in January. Like to, seven months after the application opened? Yeah. Yep. And uh, just by the luck of the draw. So I'll tell people that that there are schools that they think they don't have a chance to get into and they might get into and there are schools they think there are shoe-ins and, and uh, you know, I heard people say there's, there's no such thing as a safety school. I think I'd agree with that. There, there isn't. And, and that's one thing that I, I try to, to harp on people is that there are stats. You can go into the, the MSAR or the CIB right. and, and look at stats. But that is, that is a statistical number derived from a class of 100 people or 200 people that that gives no bearing on your chances of getting into that school that plus the fact that every year the admissions committee sits down and says what type of class do we want this year right do we want a bunch of jocks do we want a bunch of science nerds do we want a bunch of humanity majors do we want and and Every year, it's a little bit different. It's this, it's this ever growing, ever uh, in process thing that that happens, and so you can't only apply to schools that meet numbers. And, and that's your your story of applying in January, probably mm-hmm. way later than everybody anybody would ever recommend applying. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you added that school. That wasn't your main application, which that's right uh, would have been a, a huge <laughs> no-no. But uh, you got lucky with that one. But that's awesome, right. right? For people who are interested in saying, "I just want to go to this medical school," you know, that's a pretty tall order. Um, you know, you just have to look at the statistics and say, uh, you know, of of the this many thousand people apply, this many people get in, and understand that like there are a lot of smart people with great great. Um, application packages that just don't get into medical school. Uh, there's a lot of smart people who probably don't even get their um, their application even screened or looked at just because of, like you said, the numbers and there are different factors there. So I would encourage people just in general to really think about where else you would move. You know, somebody told me, they said, if, um, if medical school X offered you a free ride, would you go there? And if the answer is yes, then go ahead and apply to that school. You know, because if it, you you never know what can happen, and the thing is, is you can get hooked onto these other schools um, in terms of getting excited about them when you didn't even know the programs really existed um, previously. So again, I would really encourage people, and you've said it before, apply early and apply broadly. Yeah. Ben, what other final advice would you have for the pre med out there, non traditional or traditional student 
out there struggling with with their decision to apply to medical school or or make that first step? You know, <clears throat> for me, it was just uh, understanding that that you know dreams don't come true. It's it's a plan that comes true, and so you've got to you've got to put a plan out there, um, and you've got to understand that that take that. I think Carrie said this last week. You take that first step and. And you know what? If you take that biology class and you just don't like it, well, then maybe maybe med school's not what you want to do, or or maybe maybe you want to do something else. But you're never going to know unless you take that first class, you take that first step. Um, so I would really encourage people to, you know, right now if you go out, you can probably make it into a summer session. Um, if you sit here and him and haul and do I want to be a doctor? Well, you're going to miss a summer session, and then you're going to miss another summer session, and you're you're never going to take that take that first step. And so I would just really encourage people that there's time later to decide, do you want to be a doctor? Um, you know, that's a, that's a pretty complicated question, but right now you can say, Oh, I, I think I want to, I think I want to apply. I think I want to start going that direction. I mean, it gets a little cliche, but it's true. It's like, we all call this a journey, but at some point it, you have to realize it's, it's not that, um, you just woke up one day and you're like, I want to be a doctor. And it's like, Shazam, you're a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, there, it's steps. It's one step after the next step. So um, again, that, that's my big piece of advice to people: is take the first class, see if it works out for you, see if you can, if you can balance your life, see if it's something that you dread or something that you, that you, you know. For me, I could say I really like this this you know course that I was taking. I really like this chemistry. Um, I don't like the time away from my family, but I like the chemistry. Um, and that's an important distinction between something just going, I, I dread this. You know, this is terrible for me. Well, if it's terrible for you, then maybe a career um, or maybe, uh, you know, the time in med school is going to be frustrating for other reasons. So, um, you know, take the first step. And I would encourage people to, to really start looking at that dream and, and making it a plan. Well, I hope you learned a lot from that conversation with Ben there was a lot of information that he talked about things that he did specifically that worked for him that I think if you're in very similar situations would work for you. Now this is multiple times now that you've heard successful applicants to medical school talk about how they went to admissions committee members several years before they planned on applying to medical school and asked for advice. And I can't stress enough how important it is to go straight to the source. And I try to do that by getting admissions committee members to come on the show and getting deans to come on the show and and getting people, other people that make decisions to come on the show. But for you... In your specific situation, for you to go to an admissions committee member and say, I want to go to this school in two years. Here's where I'm at. Here's my plans. What do you think? Get them to buy off on it. And that's, I think, Carrie's exact words, getting the buy-in. And Ben talks about it again here today. So I hope if you take only one thing away from this podcast is go straight to the source, go to the schools that you want to go to, and get some advice from them. Now remember, as an applicant to medical school, if you are in the process of applying, 
they are very limited in, in the information that they can give you. So you need to do this beforehand. You need to be a little proactive a year or two before you're planning on applying and, and get this information and, and advice from them. So you have any thoughts on today's show? Go to the show notes where we'll have links to some of the information that we talked about, hopefully all of the information that we talked about. You can get the show notes, as always, medicalschoolhq.net slash 77, as in session 77. If you feel like leaving a comment, I hope you do. We'll uh, continue the conversation. You can leave a comment there at the show notes if you just scroll down to the bottom and uh, say hello, leave your comments, suggestions, say hello to Ben. You can also hit me up on Twitter. I am at Medical School HQ. We'd love to hear from you there. Again, continuing the conversation there in 140 characters or less. One of the biggest things that you can do to help the Medical School HQ podcast, if you so choose to do, is leave us a review and rating. You can do that by going to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes and leave a review and a rating. The way iTunes works, the way Apple works, is the more ratings, the more reviews that we have, the better it thinks our show is, which hopefully it is, and the higher they rank us, which means more people can see us easily. So I appreciate all of you that take a couple minutes to do that. We have four that we need to mention here. Lessa RF says A++++. Gonzo0606 says Amazing, we alleviate so much of the unnecessary stress involved with taking the pre-med path, which is awesome. The Force. <laughs> Perfection achieved, says The Force. Uh, I don't know what The Force means, but maybe maybe it's a little Star Wars um, uh, uh, reference. And Ryan Mickler, Mitchler says, great information, great show. So thank you to those four people for those five-star reviews. Like I said, if you have not left a rating or review yet, medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes. As always, I hope the information that you got today will help better guide you on your path to becoming a physician. And as always... I hope you join us next time here at the Medical School Headquarters. 